people of God were stuck. For centuries, they lived as slaves to terrifying taskmasters whose cruelty was only exceeded by their power. In these dark days, God's people gave birth to children who would inherit nothing more than misery. Their strongest ally was a god whom they had assumed had forgotten them. Far from forgotten, the people of God were rescued by the might of his hand. He put their masters to open shame and led them into the wilderness. Though they were set free, they weren't yet living free. They started to live as slaves to their own sin. What happened next reverberates for over 3,000 years of history to this current day. Like a loving and patient father, God instructed his children, giving them the Ten Commandments. Good morning. Welcome, everyone. It's good to see everybody this morning. And wonderful to be here. Um, as we were singing worship, and you know, thank you for that prayer, Pastor Zeke. Uh, it's exactly what, the kind of attitude we want to have as we come before the Lord, both for the listeners and the person that's being used up here to, uh, to speak the word of God, uh, to be sensitive, um, to be in right standing with God, to consistently examine ourselves and make sure that uh, our relationship with God is where it needs to be. Amen? Amen. And I was uh, reading that sign, uh, or that banner, I'm sorry, over here on this side, which says, For I am God, and there is no other. And I said, that's perfect. That's perfect visual there for what we're going to talk about today. And at the same time as we were singing the song, I exalt thee, or we exalt thee, I was just meditating on the fact that, uh, and going along with what Pastor Zeke prayed, um, the worship and the exaltation has, it starts here, if you will, on the Sunday morning, we have a beautiful time together, people are smiling at you, you smile at them, you shake hands, you hug, you listen to the beautiful songs. Uh, but then on Monday morning, you go back out into the world. And God calls us to continue to exalt Him uh, with our, our life, our attitudes, our thoughts. Um, I don't like to call them reactions, because reactions can be knee-jerk reactions to the situation, but our pro-actions, right? Uh, knowing how to handle the situations, the temptations, the difficult moments, the difficult people out there, which sometimes is the person looking at you in the mirror. <laughs> it's probably one of the most difficult people that we deal with on a daily basis is ourselves. And so we continue to exalt Him with our life. We are called to do that. It's not just singing. It's not just gathering together in a place. That's, that's definitely essential, but it's how we live our lives out there. And so with that mindset, we will continue to talk about the Ten Commandments, as you saw in the video, and what God has to tell us in regards to this. And we're going to touch on the, on the second part um, if you would go with me to Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 3, um, and then 5 to 6, <clears throat> and it says, 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Let me go to verses 5 and 6. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I... What does it say after the word I, if you have a similar version? The Lord who? The Lord thy God, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands. I love that part. Showing loving kindness to thousands. That's more than the third or fourth generation, isn't it? To those who love me and keep my commandments. If we read Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 6 and 7 and 9 and 10, it's the exact same thing where Moses is kind of giving the people a reminder of what God spoke here before they go into the promised land. So a couple of things that Pastor Zeke pointed out in the first uh, message, how God, before giving his commandments, he, he, he tells the people of Israel a couple of things. And he starts by saying, hey guys, I am the Lord your God. He's reminding them who he is. I am the Lord, your God. And guess what? Or remember, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And I brought you out of the house of slavery. In other words, the person who's telling you this, who's speaking to you right now, where the mountain is shaking and the smoke and the lightning and it's making you a little scared. This person is the same one that brought you out of the land of Egypt, who is the Lord your God, who brought you out of slavery. And this is the person who's telling you these following things. Therefore, because of that, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. I don't know how many of you have heard of a, um, the word Torah means instruction. Uh, in Hebrew, and it's another word for the Pentateuch, the five, first five books of the Bible usually used. And there is a version of the Torah, if you will, I would call it a version called the Humash. It has commentary. But I like the way they translate it into the English. In the first verse, it says, God spoke all these statements. And then it also says, when he commands them not to have any other gods, it says, you shall not recognize the gods of others in my presence. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Think about it. Let me repeat that the way it's translated. You shall not recognize the gods of others in my presence. The ESV version also says, you shall not have other gods before me or beside me, along with me. So the Lord's pretty clear. He's pretty clear in telling His people, the people of Israel and us, First of all, that He is God. Amen? He is God. For I, and he's pretty emphatic about it. For I am God, and there is no other. And not only that He is God, but that He is their God. Look, I brought you out. You belong to me now. I am your God. Calvary, I rescued each one of you with the blood of my Son, I redeemed you. I bought you back from the, 
from slavery. You belong to me. I am your God, Calvary. He's saying, I am your God. He's telling you individually. In fact, he reminds them of the fact that he is their God five times in Exodus. If you want to count it, I don't know how much in your version. And nine times in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 5, repeating the same phrase, the Lord your God. You might want to pay attention when you read the Bible and you see a phrase repeated several times. There's a reason for it. (laughs) There's a reason. And he repeats it about from five to nine times. The Lord your God. The Lord your God. Hey, in case you forgot just like five seconds ago, I am the Lord your God. (laughs) The Lord your God. Remember, Israel, Calvary, you individually. The Lord your God rescued you from slavery. It was not any of the ten gods of Egypt that I proved to be false and I humiliated that rescued you from Egypt. They didn't do it. Neither was it any of the gods or idols of the people that surround you. It was me, he says, the Lord, Hashem, Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord God, creator of all the universe, who rescued you. Because of what I did, he says, You shall not have other gods before me. You will not recognize the gods of others or what others consider gods alongside me or beside me. You will not do it. You see, the problem wasn't that. The problem wasn't, and I think it's the same problem today. It wasn't that people were saying, look, we don't think Yahweh is the real God anymore. Let's just forget about him. Let's just go ahead and worship these other gods uh, instead. That wasn't the issue. The issue is that they wanted to keep worshiping Jehovah and get all the benefits that they could get from him and at the same time worship the other gods that were around him. So that's the problem. That's the problem nowadays, right? That we're, we're wanting to worship God and other gods at the same time. But it's so subtle. I'm going to tell you that right now. It's so subtle that sometimes we don't realize it. And that's what I want to go ahead and point out today. That it can sneak up on us without even realizing it. Because I'm going to tell you something. How many of you would agree with me that we are broken people that God is still working on? Amen? Or is anybody perfect here and they've already reached it? Is anybody better than the Apostle Paul who said, uh, you know, I, have, I haven't gotten there yet, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on my way. Right? Nobody, right? Once in a while, the ugly stuff rises up, right? From the past. And we have to deal with it. We have to give it up to the Lord. We're, we're a work in progress. And so as we are a work in progress, and sometimes that stuff sneaks in there, we, we don't realize that we may be bringing, bringing along other idols with the Lord. We don't realize it. We've got to be very careful. And so that's what's happening. That's what the, the problem was here. They wanted to worship the Lord along with other gods. In fact, we see the people doing this 12 chapters later in Exodus chapter 32, verses 3 to 5. It's amazing. They just saw the power of God on a mountain. They knew it was him speaking because they told Moses, Oh, we're so scared. We'll speak to him for us. Let him talk to you and then you tell us what he said because this is just so much. We're going to die. I mean, this is so amazing. We can't get... They saw the power of God. They saw his presence. And then 12 chapters later, when they saw that Moses was gone for quite a while up in the mountain... And he was taking too long, and that their watches or their 
sand clocks. I don't know what they were using back then, right? Taking too long. Verses 3 to 5 say, Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took them from their hand and fashioned with it, I'm sorry, fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. Look at what they said. And they said, This is your God, O Israel. Wow. Who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. <laughs> Aaron, the priest who would listen to God's voice, who was right beside Moses when all these miracles were occurring, he built an, uh, uh, an altar before it, and Mary, Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow, look at this, check this out. Tomorrow shall be a feast to whom? Huh? Yahweh. He didn't say to the calf. He didn't say to, uh, I don't know, some Egyptian god. He said to the Lord. What's going on here? Aaron is trying to appease the people. I mean, this is a big crowd and they're getting antsy. Have you ever been in a place where a crowd is getting anxious? I have. And it can be pretty scary. And he let that fear get to him, and he's trying to appease them after knowing what God had said. But then he's also wanting to make Yahweh included in the whole thing, just in case. <laughs> just in case. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to get God out of the picture, but... You know, I'm going to please these people so that uh, we don't have any trouble here. <sighs> Bad idea. And we know what happened afterward, right? It wasn't very good. Now, many kings of Israel um, did the same thing, including Solomon. They included other gods with the worship of the Lord. And they led the people astray, and it wasn't, it wasn't a pretty picture for the people. Judgment came upon them, destruction Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you this. And I think God is speaking to all of us. Um, we got to be careful that we're not um, worshiping a golden calf and calling it Yahweh. We got to be very careful that we're not worshiping a golden calf and calling it the Lord Jehovah. And again, it can happen so subtly. Because many times we can think that, you know, um, we can live our lives the way we want to in disobedience to the Lord, not submitting to what he is telling us. And then we're praying to him um, to solve our problems, to provide for us and to protect our children. But we're not living the way he wants us to live. And we're not walking in obedience to him. And many times, we come to this place, and again, I'm, I'm, please, listen, listen to this carefully. God is speaking to us lovingly today. Even when it seems a little harsh or a little uncomfortable, he's speaking to us with love. But a lot of times, we come to this place, and we're singing to God, but we're actually singing to a golden calf in our hearts. Because we expect him to be the genie that provides all of our desires without submission without loving submission to him. Did I step on any toes? 
I know I've stepped on mine before. Because God speaks to me also. We've got to be very careful. There are various scriptures in the Bible that tell us that our prayers are hindered. God doesn't hear our prayers when we are living this way. God does not listen to us. He can't. Because we're not praying to him. We're praying to the calf we think is God. Or we're depending on that calf who we think is the Lord Jehovah. So he can't hear our prayers. He won't. We can also see it another way. This is what happened to the people of Israel when Moses started taking too long. You know, when things started happening in the desert. When they thought, oh, why don't you bring us out here? You brought us here to die. We should have gone back to Egypt. There was better food over there. Whatever, you know. When things get tough in our lives and problems get intense, what or whom do we go to? Who or what do we depend on to give us comfort? And that could be a bunch of things, ladies and gentlemen. I could go ahead and go through a list, but you, personally, each individual know who or what that is. I know who or what that is that I sometimes, in default, run to instead of God himself. It could be so many things. I can name stuff from work to a specific person to the image that you have of yourself that you think gives you more value than God does? It could be several things that we run to instead of God. What other things or people are we giving our total devotion, affection, and worship to along with God? Huh? We want to include all those things. We sometimes want to put value on our lives based on so many other things, and we forget that the total 100% value that comes to us, that we have the intrinsic value, is because of Him and what He did for us. We can base it on how much money we make, what kind of job we have, um, how good I look, the way I dress. I'm telling you, these are subtle things, right? But He is the one that gives us that value. I'm amazed at how, so many, how some people on social media, and I've actually stopped social media. It's gotten nauseating to a certain extent, to be honest with you. I kind of deleted those things out of my, my phone. But when I would look at it, I was amazed at how some people on social media would talk about their mother or their father or their, their child. And they would, a specific phrase that really got me was they would say, he or she is my rock. I would shudder when I, when I would read that. Do you know what you're saying? You're telling me that an imperfect human being, sinful, who can fail you any time, is your rock? I'm praying for you. Because that minute, the minute that rock falls from right under you, it's over. You're done. <laughs> you're done. Who are we giving our devotion, our affection, and worship to? Having other idols to worship along with God is like the man who wants to have an adulterous relationship but still keep his wife. He wants both. It doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. And that's why the people of Israel, every time God would call them out on their sin, every time he was correcting them, he would tell them, you are an adulterous nation. You're committing adultery 
with all these idols, and you've broken your devotion and your commitment to me. That's why the marriage relationship is a reflection of that relationship between God and his church. That's why it's so important. That's why, you know, I remember at work a few years ago, a girl told me, she goes, well, we weren't designed to be monogamous. And I'm like, you know what monogamous means, what? To be just with one person. And I said, well, if we weren't designed to be monogamous, then why does it hurt so much when someone cheats on you? When someone, why do you feel jealousy? We're going to talk about that right now because God is a jealous God. Pretty interesting, right? But sin, the flesh in the world tells us otherwise. Oh, you know, you, you can do whatever you want. There's a saying in Spanish that um, men would tell me when I was young and I was trying to, younger when I was in my 20s, trying to serve the Lord. I had, a, I had a, one of my stepdad's co-workers who used to live with us because he would have to travel from California to Houston to work here. He, he got transferred. They, they worked for uh, Continental Airlines, which is now United. And he would sleep in, in, our, in our house with us, and he had a bed in the same room with me. And I tried to share the gospel with him, and, and uh, as a result, he gave me a nickname. He called me uh, Mr. J.C., Jesus Christ, right? He would use it to make fun of me. Um, and he would, uh, he would tell me... Uh, you know, you're going to get to an age where you're going to have to uh, pluck a gray hair off of your head. And what he meant by that is, even if you're married, you're going to have to go out there and have an adventure somewhere. Because that's the mentality that they have, right? But if it's that way, then how come it hurts so much? How come you feel people have jealousy when that happens? Because we weren't made for that. We were made between one man and one woman to reflect the nature of the Lord our God. And it reflects it to the world, to our children. When our children see our marriage, they see God when it's being done the right way. And to the spiritual realm. <clears throat> and so, it can't be that way. <clears throat> Scripture says both in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5 that the Lord is a jealous God. Now that sounds really strange when we think about that, right? Because we're thinking in our own Western mentality. And we're thinking from the perspective of who we are and how we express jealousy and how we experience jealousy. It's not very fun, is it? I mean, when I think of jealousy, I think of Mexican soap operas. <laughs> Drama. All over the place, right? I mean, I know that there are English soap operas, you know, Days of Our Lives, which lasted for like a century and all that stuff. I remember I was like 10 years old, Days of Our Lives, and now I was 25, Days of Our Lives. What in the world? How long is this soap opera? Anyway, I think of a Mexican soap opera. There's so much drama and jealousy, so our perspective of jealousy is so different, but the word is very specific when it says that God is a jealous God. Listen to this. This word here, jealousy, refers directly to the attributes of God's justice and holiness. As he is the sole object of human worship and does not tolerate man's sin. I'm not going to tell you that I came up with that definition because it'd be really cool. But it was from Vine's Concise Dictionary of Bible Words. It helps to have those books in the house, right? So, in other words, what this means, you know, I'm going to read it to you again. It refers directly to the attributes of God's justice and holiness as he is the sole object of human worship and does not tolerate man's sin. In other words, he is so holy 
He is so holy and so perfectly righteous. Listen to this. That jealousy befits him perfectly in his demand for total worship and devotion from us. This jealousy that he has, the way he is a jealous God, it's a righteous and perfect type of jealousy. Because he is God. For I am God, and there is no other. Ladies, I know you may have a husband that looks like a God. Or at least you think he looks like a God. But he is not God. There is no other God. And because he is the only God, and not only he is the only God, but he is your God, and not only is he your God, but he is a perfect, holy God. Totally righteous. That sounded pretty cool. Totally righteous, man. Totally righteous. Just God, like nobody else, he has a right to be jealous when we are putting other idols along with him. Now, in contrast to that, it is not the same thing with us. In fact, the only reason, how many here here are righteous? Raise your hand if you're righteous. Amen. Raise your hand. You're not self-righteous. I didn't bring righteousness on myself. I can't. There's no one good, the Bible says. But I am righteous. And the only reason I am righteous is because of the righteousness that he imputed on me through his son's sacrifice. It's his righteousness in me. And that's the only reason I'm considered righteous before him. The only reason. I can't boast of anything. Even the, the scripture tells us, I cannot say I've done and I've thought and I've nothing that I've done has gotten me the righteousness that I have. It is his righteousness Impute, man, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Think about that just for a second, guys. You do not deserve it. I do not deserve it. And he imputed his righteousness on me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he has shown his love in this, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. That's the only reason we are righteous. But he is righteous out of his own nature. He's intrinsically Righteous and a just God. <clears throat> I believe that we can imply, as James says in his epistle, chapter 1, verse 20, that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God in the same way the jealousy of man does not produce the righteousness of, of God. The majority of the time, our jealousy is short-sighted. Many times it's unfounded. Without legitimate reason. We get jealous because we imagine things and we assume things, don't, don't we? in our imperfect nature. And it's misdirected and influenced by our sinful and imperfect nature. It doesn't work. But he has a right to be jealous. He can do it. He can. It's a righteous jealousy. Let me take you to Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapter 3. I want to go over there and over a few things here. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 3. In case you don't know, it's the last book of the Bible. Verses 14 through 16. And it says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the Amen the faithful and true witness, 
the beginning of the creation of God says this. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot, I mean, I'm sorry, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. But because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I truly believe that. In fact, you know what? Let me read a little bit more just to get some more context. Let's read a few more verses. Let's go to 17. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy. Doesn't that sound like an idol? Money? I know some of you may not agree totally, but I believe that we uh, are a wealthy nation. Our economy is kind of messed up right now. You know, we could criticize a bunch of politicians and laws and stuff like that. But in comparison, we are a very wealthy nation. We have a lot more than other people have. So he says, I've become wealthy and have no need of anything, of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. <clears throat> I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And I love this part. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. I love this. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Do you know that God loves you? And when I tell you God loves you, I don't want to say it in the way that, uh, how, how is it that Pastor Zeke says it, like with a fuzzy, little beautiful bunny rabbit, you know, real, God loves you. When I tell you that God loves you, it's because God takes action to do the things that sometimes even hurt so that you may be the person that he wants you to be. Just the same way that I, as a father, have disciplined my children in a way that's not fun for them or for me. Because truly, son, this will really hurt me more than it will hurt you. <laughs> because I love my children. And our father here reminds us, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you right now, if you're going through a moment at this time where you feel that God is disciplining you, that where it's hurting where it's making you cry and it's making you really uncomfortable, know that it is the intense, never-ending, long-lasting love of God being expressed to you. Ah, that, thank you for the amen. Amen. It is the love of God that is disciplining you in order to be the person that he wants you to be. And so the same thing we see in Hebrews, if you go to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 10. <clears throat> and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as what? Sons. You see? If you are being disciplined by God, it's because you're his child. And if you're his child, he loves you. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And listen to this. I don't know if this is the same translation you have. I have the NASB. And he scourges every son whom he receives. There's a, a phrase in Spanish, la chancla. And mothers are known very well 
Hispanic Latino mothers are known very well for la chancla. It has a tremendous power, right? Boomerang style. You've probably seen all the videos. <laughs> of course, that's not the reality. But in our minds, when we're children, it's like, that's an amazing weapon mom had. Wow. It just hit me. I turn around and it's still in your hand. What's going on? Right? But I, was through, I went through a lot of discipline as a child. And discipline is not fun. It hurts. So I like the word there, scourge, because it's painful. But it's painful not in a way that it abuses, right? Not in the way that it damages you or humiliates you or puts you down, but in a, in a way that it reminds you, look, I don't want you to go down that way anymore because the, the consequence of that is going to hurt you more than this scourge that I just gave you. Right? I did that to my son one day, my 14-year-old. He's 14-year-old now. But he was like, I think he was like four. Out of nowhere, without telling me, he crossed the street in our neighborhood by himself. And I was like, where's this boy? Ran over to the other side, and I found him, and I said, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Gave him a few smacks. Made him hurt a little, brought a little tear. He said, you don't ever do that again. You see those cars passing by? That's going to hurt a lot more. And that's how the Lord, that's why the Lord disciplines us, because He loves us. He is calling us and letting us know that going off that path, bringing other idols along with Him, is going to damage us at the end. Ladies and gentlemen, I am God and there is no other. And because He is God, All those other things that we subtly or consciously or purposefully bring along as idols, they're not going to give us what he gives us. It's going to fail you. It's going to feel good for a little while. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to think you're having a feast, just like these people were having a party with that golden calf. Dancing. It says that they ate, they sat down and ate, and then they rose to play. They had a good time. They were enjoying themselves. But that calf was never going to give them what Almighty God would give them and gave them. That calf did not open the Red Sea for them. That calf did not defeat the Egyptians with all those plagues. That calf was not the one that went before them to defeat the peoples of the surrounding nations. Let me tell you something. Whatever it is that your calf is in your life, is not the one that died for you on the cross. It's not the one that made you free. It's not the one that gave you peace. It's not the one that gives you hope. It's not the one that gives you strength when you're going through difficult times. Whatever it is, is not the one that is going to help you to get through that valley. I guarantee it. You're going to turn around and it's not going to be there anymore. It's not going to be there for you. Whether it's a person, whether it's a thing, whatever it is, it's going to be the Lord and the Lord only. So what should we do in return? Because he loved us first, let us love the Lord our God with all our heart with all our soul and with all our strength. You know what? That makes walking in obedience to Him a delight. It doesn't become a burden. When it's just rules. That's why I think the, uh, they're called the Ten Sayings or the Ten Statements instead of the Ten Commandments because commandments sounds like, oh, rules, right? But it's when we're having a loving relationship with Him that makes walking in obedience to Him a delight. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. I pray, Lord, that it would sink not just in our minds, 
psychologically, but also spiritually, in our hearts, even emotionally, Father, that it would touch our being to live the way that brings glory to you, Lord, and blessing to others. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Father. Amen. Thank you.